0: And welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thanks so much for tuning in wherever you are in the UK or indeed around the rest of the world. And as ever, we've got a lot to cram in in our time together. Uh, If it's okay with you, I'll make a couple of assembly announcements and then uh, reflect on the vote of confidence uh, in Johnson. And one of its implications, at least... Uh, And then we'll go over to you for some questions. Uh, So first of all, yeah, a couple of Assembly announcements. Uh, Rock and Roll Politics is live at King's Place on Wednesday, and we can all join in because it's streaming live as well. And that means I will be reflecting in much more detail about uh, Boris Johnson, where he is, what it tells us about the modern Conservative Party and indeed modern uh, Britain and what could well follow from. Uh, What happened uh, yesterday? And of course, all of you will as well. There will be predictions and you can make your predictions uh, via the streaming service as much as uh, live in the hall. And you can also ask questions on the streaming service as well. So do join us. That's Wednesday, 7 o'clock, on the live stream. Uh, Most of the live uh, tickets have gone in the hall, but there are a few left on the King's Place website. So you can go there, get that, and we can get together and have a whole evening. Those of you on the stream and, indeed, are live, get a glass of wine, and we can make sense of another epic week in British politics. I think one of the interesting elements, there are so many, but I'm going to reflect on one, is uh, today in the podcast, is the um, uh, little, vignette. I'm going to reflect on two things actually. The the booing of Johnson um, the other day, uh, but but first of all this, there is a lot of excitement that the Johnson era is coming to an end, and maybe it is. Uh, But I think there is a kind of warning around about what might follow if he were to fall. And that was reflected when Tobias Elwood, one of the dissenting Tory MPs, floated the idea of (coughs) rejoining the single market. Perfectly sensible proposition. As we've discussed many times on this podcast, uh, Brexit is a calamity uh, in a surreal way, a largely hidden calamity at the moment, um, but it's there. And one route through, um, though politically tricky, obviously, um, <clears throat> is to rejoin the single market at some point. Now, Labour remain largely silent on the issue. And um, all hell broke loose when Tobias Elwood mentioned this uh, in, uh, in passing, uh, number 10 briefing. Oh, what a gift uh, Elwood's given us. It shows that, you know, this uh, insurrection is a kind of remainery kind of plot. But the significant thing was the response of one of the potential candidates in a leadership contest, Tom Tugenhart. Uh, who knows uh, privately, or not even privately, said it, uh, you know, when he was putting the case for Remain, uh, that this is a perfectly sensible proposition to get out of the hellish mess the British economy is in uh, because of Johnson and Lord Frosty Frost's Brexit. Um, and and he, he said right away, this was ridiculous and preposterous, and there was no way we're going to do this. Uh, because Tugendhart wants to stand in a leadership contest and knows that that is what is required. Uh, And it will be, if it happens, a leadership contest rooted on the right of the Conservative Party. Not just the hard Brexity right, and there will be much talk about what a brilliant deal this Brexit is, it just needs to be made to work. And you can see Liz Truss dressing up even more like Margaret Thatcher. By the way, Liz Truss is making a mistake, I think, in her impersonation of Thatcher. A is too transparent. Um, and, and and B, she's impersonating Thatcher in her imperious final phase. I don't know if you saw her, Liz Truss, arriving for the uh, Jubilee service at St Paul's, but she had that kind of very, very padded shoulder jacket, and she walks now with a sort of imperious sense of destiny. The early Thatcher was more kind of knockabout and pantomime, really. Um, You know, rushing around, feeding cows in a field and campaigning with a vigour and being filmed by World in Action, washing up at home to show that she was, in inverted commas, a normal housewife. Now, you don't have to do any of that in this era. Um, But as she became famously, it began with the Falklands, uh, but continued with her landslide victories, increasingly monarchical. And uh, imperious. And that's the bit Liz Truss is copying. Um, But anyway, you can see Liz Truss appealing to the base. Liz Truss, a Remainer in 2016, uh, with this um, uh, attempt to break international law and disown the treaty that Frosty Frost hailed as a great triumph, as did Johnson, uh, in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol. You will see, even with uh, Jeremy Hunt, if he gets his moment... Um, a pitch to this Tory base. And so, uh, once again, what will happen, I think, is a delay of the inevitable. At some point, the Tory party, which is not as adaptable as mythology suggests, uh, will rediscover a one-nation Toryism. Uh, The the, the party that kind of spanned rabbed. Butler Harold Macmillan uh, Eden indeed Churchill although he was an erratic figure on the domestic front um and and they will become once again a kind of big tent one nation party um but they are still mostly intoxicated by Thatcherism um Thatcherism was a creed uh formed Uh, with some depth, with economic uh, specialists. um, And Geoffrey Howe was a figure of uh, great kind of capacity for detail. Uh, With Thatcher, it it was more shallow, but uh, more uh, sweepingly conveyed with conviction by her than anybody else and kind of deeply held set of beliefs. But they were framed in the late nineteen. 70s. There are many echoes now with the 70s, um, but quite a few differences as well, not least in the early 1980s. uh, Thatcher used the um, high unemployment levels that were themselves a consequence of her early monetarism um, uh, to bring down inflation. Um, because people were so desperate for jobs, they would take low-paid jobs. um, And that was one of the weapons used um, to stifle inflation then. That weapon isn't available now, partly because of Brexit and the pandemic. There is a chronic labour shortage in key areas, um, which pushes wages up. Um, But anyway, uh, there were signs, first of all, under Theresa May, uh, that the Tory party might move away from its addiction to a philosophy framed in the late 70s, early 1980s. Um, She, of course, under the influence of her advisor, Nick Timothy, uh, talked about the good that government can do and planned to show that in a policy agenda, uh, which included things like a thought-through industrial strategy and all the rest of it. None of it happened because she became submerged... Uh, by Brexit, and does what all prime ministers do, uh, appointed a kind of Thatcherite chancellor who blocked a lot of the things that Nick Timothy wanted to happen. Uh, Philip Hammond. Uh, Philip Hammond, who, because of his opposition to Brexit, became our sort of Che Guevara figure, you know, a rebel, posters all round teenagers, bedrooms of Phil Hammond. Um, and anyway, so it was stifled once more, um, a, a kind of tentative move towards a one-nation Toryism um, and away from Thatcherism. Uh, you know, it was very, they, forget about Cameron Osborne, they reinforced it. They used a language that appeared to challenge Thatcherism, which actually completely endorsed it and turbocharged that tourism was the uh, economic policy of Cameron and Osborne. Uh, Then Johnson comes along, this figure who um, Paul Goodman at Conservative Homes (laughs) wrote, um, regards economic policy as a branch of show business. And indeed, uh, politics for Johnson is largely show business and performance and Churchillian sense of kind of uh, the great man Theory of history great person theory of history um but there is a bit of johnson as we've discussed on this podcast before which has a kind of keynesian streak and recognizes the virtues of uh, investment and public spending i don't think any other leader would have put up taxes um, although he did it uh, haphazardly Uh, to pay for the NHS and, in theory, social care. But because everything with him is so chaotic, it's not paying for social care, it's paying for the catch-up in the NHS, which in itself hasn't been thought through properly. Um, But that there was a need for money to be pumped into the NHS uh, was absolutely crystal clear. Um, But I don't think anyone else in that cabinet that weak need cabinet, uh, would have dared do it. Um, the, the, if you want a sense of what that cabinet would have done, look at Rishi Sunak's spring statement, uh, an act of minimalism in the context of a massive crisis. And then look at his emergency statement the other day, where he spent far more than he ever wanted to do in that spring statement. And there you see the tides propelling even these fiscal Thatcherite conservatives towards a more kind of social democratic settlement. But it was um, Johnson leading that in his own confused way. Uh, In a leadership contest, it will all be about tax cuts brexit um and 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 the hardest possible brexit and let's take these europeans on over northern ireland it's their fault that the protocol isn't working that will be the essence of the leadership contest and the battle will be um who can outright the other candidates uh, certainly in the last round with the membership um but to some extent within that parliamentary party although that parliamentary party is i think itself confused sometimes within a conservative mp you know yes they want big investment in the red wall area but they also want tax cuts yes they want spending on the nhs but they also want tax cuts and um sometimes say these uh Tensions are within individual Conservative MPs, um, but uh, those who plan to get out the bunting uh, uh, when or if Boris Johnson falls, and more on that at uh, the King's Place event uh, on uh, at the show or streamed. Um, remember, what will follow is um, likely to be a swing to the right um and in the meantime the depressing thing is that those little embryonic seeds uh that uh had been planted by uh johnson again in an utterly confused and contradictory way uh that suggested uh, a move towards a one nation conservatism um th- they will go now Because Johnson, although in theory needs to address the wider electorate, will continue, and this was the whole purpose of Save Big Dog, uh, to focus on the MPs and the members and what he, in his own somewhat simplistic way, thinks they want. So, you know, the big announcement last week about returning to imperial uh, measures. (laughs) Europe stopped us, which they didn't, by the way. Um, And uh, there will be, I assume, a lot more of that because that is what he thinks they want. More Rwanda-style announcements. Um, uh, And that's him who has at times shown a recognition that this party that largely rules England most of the time uh, did need to move away from its intoxication with a creed formed in that late 70s, early 80s period. Um, So although there is much excitement around at the moment within the Tory party and well outside it of a possible ending... Uh, I keep on saying possible, because remember, for prime ministers to fall, a lot of ingredients have to be in place. Um, What follows could be bleak for the country um, and certainly will not necessarily be what those uh, from outside the Tory party who are looking forward to the fall of Johnson want. Um, And it will be interesting to see there will be a big field if there is a contest, who stands um, in the first round and then it's reduced to two. A more sensible system, I think, than um, the Labour Party leadership contest rules. Um, Just one other reflection. There was a lot of excitement at the booing of Johnson and it's interesting to reflect. Some people say, oh, he is so, you know, cocooned, it won't bother him. I bet it bothered him. Uh, there is something about being confronted uh, with how you are perceived in that way uh, that uh, shatters people on one level. Um, there was, of course, George Osborne booed at the Olympics. And I remember his um, very sympathetic, too sympathetic in some respects, biographer, Um at the time, writing, oh, you know, he's got such a steely political psyche, George Osborne, he will be undisturbed uh, by it. It was Janan Ganesh, wasn't it, who wrote a biography of George Osborne. Um, uh, And yet, he was clearly deeply disturbed by being booed at the Olympics, George Osborne, to the point where he sought a kind of public... Uh, metamorphosis subsequently. Uh, he lost a lot of weight. He went out and about. He was always seen in a sort of builder's uniform, you know, on budget, on the day after a budget when giving interviews. He'd be on some building site. Um, he changed his hairstyle uh, and tried to be, in inverted commas, a nicer public figure. Um, and I remember Charlie Fultner, uh Tony Blair's close friend, telling me that when he famously gave a speech to the Women's Institute and he got slow hand-clapped, Charlie Faulkner th- sensed that a spell had been broken, um, that uh, this great master of public events... Uh, and uh, reader of a room had been seen not to have done so uh, in front of, in, a, in, in effect, his kind of constituency, Middle England. Um, and, and, and Charlie noted that a spell had broken with that event. And uh, with Johnson too, as many have noted, uh, this was his kind of audience, uh, devotees of a royal, of the royal family, um, kind of with no, flying their flags, that sort of English nationalism that Johnson has stirred, um, and he was booed, and he will uh, have been disturbed by it. But what I found disturbing, frankly, and I think you will all disagree with this, um, is that uh, if you step back from the famous epic flaws of johnson uh which means uh the criticism is wholly deserved i was worried that um all those people gathered um to cheer on the non-elected guests you know all the royal family all the others huge cheers as they walked in and when an elected figure arrived, he was booed. And I think there is a streak in England that has a kind of loathing for those they elect. Um, and it's dangerous. Um, now, I'm not saying, you know, you, you know my views of Boris Johnson, he, he is wholly unsuited for leadership, should never have got close to being a leader. Um, but it is interesting and disturbing that there is this, reverence for an unelected group of people and an instinctive disdain for um, elected figures. And, and, and they're right, some of those defenders of Johnson, these timid ministers who pop up and spout clichés um, about leadership under the instructions of Number 10. Uh, what a weak governing group this is. Uh, But they were right to point out it's not at all unusual. I mean, Blair would have been booed post-Iraq, I suspect, um, as Prime Minister turning up to an event like that. Um, I mentioned George Osborne at the Olympics and so on. Um, These elected figures face nightmarish dilemmas on an hourly basis, um, and it's all played out in a very overwrought public arena um and they are as say viewed with contempt, and these other figures who um, uh operate largely behind closed doors and appear for ceremonial roles in public are uh cheered and adored. Um, now, obviously, I can see why, you know, if you don't have to make decisions rising from nightmarish dilemmas, um, it's easier to be adored. But it is, I thought, uh, you know, again, disturbing this thing of um, it's the elected figure. Uh, viewed with disdain and the others revered. But anyway, um, let's uh, say all much, much more at King's Place on Wednesday at 7 on the live stream. Um, And for those of you in the hall, we are going to have some fun. Those of you can get the stream tickets. They they are eternally available. You can be as many as you want on the stream uh, at the King's Place website. And say there are a few tickets uh, left for the event live in the hall. Uh, And those links will be on the blurb for the podcast. And we will have uh, some fun, but we will go deep, deep, deep uh, on uh, Wednesday night uh, live. And now, if it's okay, over to your questions. Oh, yeah. Tom Bucknell mentions the uh, Tobias Elwood uh, intervention and the stir it uh, caused. And he says, this leads me to ask, what do you think will be our future relationship with the EU when Boris Johnson goes? I hope it will be less hostile. Well, Tom, I've kind of answered that. Not necessarily at all. Remember, Johnson, as part of his confused internal being... Um, does partly recognise the need to retain good relations with the EU. He only partly does, and it's partly because he wants to keep a good relationship with the United States and play the big leader, you know, going on the red carpet in Washington and all the rest of it. But um, uh, so it's not necessarily the case. Uh, There will be huge pressure uh, if there is a new prime minister uh, en route to getting that job, to be as Eurosceptic as it is possible to be. And what you say in a leadership contest does have consequences, Um, as I think Keir Starmer will discover um, uh, the gap between his pledges in a Labour leadership contest and his current position uh, at the very least will be tested by the Tory party at the next election. Uh thank you, uh Tom. Uh Dominica our Dominica Jewell, our French correspondent, uh points out how um enamored France is of the uh Queen and noted uh President Macron's uh, very gracious tribute. Uh Dominica adds uh she is on kind of my more sceptical side, which I know some of you definitely emphatically do not agree with, um, which is absolutely fair enough. Um but uh she says that um uh quite a lot of British media commentators sneered at Macron's uh uh contribution. I, I did they Dominica? I kind of I didn't see much of those quite I I, I kind of I suppose I avoid the kind of sneering and as much as we just very bad for one's blood pressure and health and things like that. Um, but anyway, it's quite interesting. Apparently, you know, wherever she went, uh, the, the French TV coverage was huge um, of the jubilee. Yeah, I was I was in France for one of the the weddings. I can't remember which one, and it, it was it was rolling news coverage of the royal wedding in London in France. Uh, thank you, Dominika, Andy Kemp uh from one of your correspondents living in northeast derbyshire the constituency of lee rowley now yeah is there going to be a vacancy remember lee rowley is our person to watch um your last podcast uh cheered me up oh yeah on the jubilee so you're with me andy well i say lots are not i'm not going to revisit it for the time being um Uh, You mentioned the way mainstream media's coverage influences the public at large, uh, massively, massively so. With the advent of social media platforms, uh, including excellent podcasts, do you believe that the influence of traditional media will decline? And if so, what will be the consequences? I think it's hard to read. Uh, There was a period when I was sure that the um, uh, orthodox media Uh, Daily Mail, Telegraph, Times, uh, BBC, was really being uh, challenged. And that was around the 2017 general election, where all those orthodox outlets misread wholly uh, the electoral mood and and, and didn't seem to have an influence on it. when they all assumed and hoped that uh, Labour would be slaughtered under Corbyn. We got the hung Parliament. Um, but on the whole, I think it remains the case that newspapers are incredibly powerful. Uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because many people don't buy them or read them, especially younger people. Um, but they are read at Westminster. The newspapers are read in BBC offices and it kind of frames the way... Uh, politics is reported and analyzed um and it 's a kind of self feeding never ending um dynamic as well um so I think they remain powerful to give you an example the telegraph uh was a very, uh very you know, dismissive of Boris Johnson's claims that his uh, leadership vote was uh, uh, was great for him and a triumph for him. Um, its front page said a hollow victory, I think, or something along those lines. Now, that will influence Tory MPs and the way they see uh, the coming weeks. Um, It will influence the BBC and they will, some of them, dare to analyse more robustly the fragility of Johnson's position when the Telegraph have given them permission to do so. Although I note the Daily Mail, it's got a new editor, I know uh, Dacre still presides over the whole place, Paul Dacre, but um, it's got a new editor, Ted Verity, he is so unsubtle in the support he's giving Johnson on the front pages. I know some of the staff are embarrassed by it, but um, I begin to wonder, I've never underestimated the power of the Daily Mail. It's huge, terrifies, scares the BBC, um, has a, you know big investment you see people read it uh yeah, i was uh, uh, on the south coast uh, last week and people on one of those bank holidays hot day so many people out reading the daily mail like it's the bible so i'm fully aware of its power um but it's so unsubtle in its kind of uh distorted coverage um in favor of johnson uh, that you kind of almost wonder whether it might be becoming <laughs> unproductive uh, counterproductive for him to have the backing of such a sort of you know teenage uh, approach to a very very bad uh right-wing school magazine um anyway uh so i think they are still powerful andy but it will be interesting to see whether that potency survives the fracturing of the media in the longer term uh, via social media And now over to Dr. Mark Harper, our rock and roll politics uh, well-being consultant. He's writing this book on the benefits of cold water swimming, which we are all excited about. Um, And he, yeah, he was making the point uh, following up from, I think, uh, Denise Williams' contribution to our debate about what should happen to the NHS next and you know cope and how it's resourced and uh, he says uh, some of the best things would be more facilities and support for park runs and of course outdoor swimming etc which benefit the men- the many is what is needed rather than super expensive personalized medicine or robotic surgery which benefits the few Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. He also um, refers to my podcast about the Jubilee. Uh, when you question what people are actually celebrating and how this relates to England's attitude towards Europe and the world. So I was particularly struck by the poignancy, not to mention the hilarious analogy of A. A. Gill's piece on Europe, written in 2016, just before the referendum. Um, although this is the first time I've read it. And he quotes from this A. 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 Gill book. A. 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 Gill was a great writer uh, who died uh, a couple of years ago. And this is his quote from then. We listened to the Brexit lot talk about the trade deals they're going to make with Europe after we leave and the blithe insouciance insouciance, that what they're offering instead of EU membership is a divorce where you can still have sex with your ex they reckon they can get out of the marriage keep the house not pay alimony take the kids out of the school stop the in-laws going to the doctor get strict with the visiting rights but you know still get a shag at the weekend and obviously see other people on the side given the imminent union jack ceremony yeah at king's place live on wednesday um one of our great listeners Stuart, uh, has got me some union jack socks that the sort that lord frosty frost war um when he was conducting his triumphant brexit negotiations so in awe were his uh, european counterparts when they saw his union jack socks i'm getting them and the ceremony is at king's place anyway mark says i thought this uh, following sentence from a.a A. gill was particularly relevant Really? That's their best offer? That's the plan? To swagger into Brussels with Union Jack pants on and say, hello, love, you're looking nice today. Would you like some? And then, um, yeah, Mark wonders whether I should be getting Frosty Frost Union Jack pants as well. Um, Yeah, that's a big question. Was Frosty Frost wearing Union Jack pants? as part of his triumph um we need to know yeah a.a a. gill uh, he's a great writer thank you mark uh look forward to the cold water swimming book um philip odell Uh, Love the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Philip. Uh, Read this Jubilee thing. I've heard some disappointing attempts to make the Republican case in recent days, going down the cost line. It's a dead end. Um, Yeah, I guess so. Uh, But he says uh, the hereditary thing is quite interesting. Um, uh, Making the point, I'm just writing a letter to my Chartered Accountants Institute Philip being an accountant, asking if my son can take over my chartered accountant status when I die. That's how it works, isn't it? I wonder what they'll say. Or what about being seen by a doctor who's only a doctor because her parents were a doctor? Yeah, uh, it is it, the the hereditary principle, uh, at least, I think. As I'm not going to go through it all because some of you disagree and all the rest of it, but, you know, uh, it is, I think, a rich team Now, talking of uh, Stuart, who's uh, uh, going to present me with Union Jack Socks live at uh, King's Place. Um, yeah, he, he is not uh, he he is someone who uh, is not a Labour, Labour supporter. In fact, did you vote Tory last time, Stuart? I think you did. Can't remember, but anyway, he says he describes himself as the type of voter that Labour needs to win back in order to win the next election. And I have to say, at this point, I'm nowhere near being won over. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. There is a big anti-Tory mood at the moment. That doesn't mean there's an excited pro-Labour mood, Labour ahead in the polls. Um, And he thinks um, Labour's position could be enhanced by saying that um, uh, that they need to be more visionary. Um, And here are his suggestions, which I don't agree with all of these. But anyway, these are his. Uh, Follow the current government's winning formula of leaning left on the economy and right on law and order. I think I think they plan to do the right on law and order. What leaning left on the economy means, Stuart, has still to be defined. Seek to neutralise Brexit by ruling out another referendum in the next parliament and defining a narrow scope of any negotiation with the EU. They're definitely going to do that, uh, Stuart. So they've got you on that one. Um, now, whether that will be enough given the challenges posed by Lord Frosty Frost's Brexit, is uh, doubtful in my view, but I can see the electoral dilemmas. Um, Contextualise the policy agenda in a wider platform, promoting modernization at its heart. Very new Labour, Stuart, but modernisation worked for Blair and Harold Wilson. I saw Lisa Nandy being interviewed recently and being asked what her priority was for Labour, and she responded, jobs, jobs and jobs. I groaned because I thought this was lazy and unimaginative. Yeah, if that was. She can be quite good, though, on this levelling up thing, which I think is much more than jobs. Um, and then he goes on to other things. Uh, an honest and frank policy on the scope and funding of the NHS. To include perhaps an element of co payments. They won't do that, Stuart, but you know, I think that is part of a solution in terms of resources, though many disagree. Anyway, those are some of the things he thinks uh, would get him um, towards uh, Labour. It hasn't happened that. And he still thinks Labour are currently sleepwalking towards a fifth successive defeat. So there we go. Uh, Stuart, thank you. Look forward to the ceremony on Wednesday night at King's Place, the ultimate tribute to Lord Frosty Frost and his um, triumphant Brexit deal, which he is now saying has to be renegotiated. Uh, Venetia Kane, who is incidentally um, campaigning away at... Um, Uh, at Honiton, which I assume is part of the Tiverton uh, constituency where this dramatic by-election is being uh, taken place. Um, She, oh yeah, I'm getting so many about this Jubilee podcast. She says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, especially when you haven't got a suitable replacement. Um, She's talking about the royal family. Uh, Yeah, uh, and it, it it is interesting. I thought there was a sort of gentle wackiness to uh, quite a lot of the events over that jubilee period um which certainly uh, contrasted well say with a military parade in moscow or whatever um But as I said, well, I mentioned one disturbing element to the booing of the elected figure compared to the reverence of the non-elected ones. Um, Okay, thank you, Venetia. Uh, uh, Oh, yes, she's joining us on the stream. Uh, So you take a break off campaigning and uh, we'll be no doubt reflecting on those by-elections. Jeff Strange, who spends a lot of time, I know, in uh, Dublin... Uh, says that um, the rise of support for Sinn Féin uh, since the Belfast Agreement in Northern Ireland appears to reflect their growing maturity as a political force, despite the denigrating statements usually uttered from those who occupy the status quo. Um, Yeah, and he he says, we now have a potential Assembly First Minister in Michelle O'Neill, who looks more and more to be representative of those adults in the room, while others, Poots, Donaldson, etc., are like sulky children who boo in the corner of the classroom, refusing to play ball. Yeah, it's interesting um, that she does seem uh, rounded and a fully formed politician uh jeff and um yeah well let's see what's happened we've had a lot of emails about um, what might happen next some of them pointing out that actually moves towards a united ireland are still way way ahead of us um uh but you might disagree jeff and certainly the Sinn fein have got in uh michelle o'neill a uh, formidable credible advocate Thank you, Jeff. Steve Townsley, uh, Brexit has reached a strange plateau. The Labour Party won't mention it. The BBC don't mention it. Uh, Newspapers only mention it as an unrelenting victory march. The idea that people would change their views about Europe after the negative aspects became apparent is never going to happen. The reason is that the principal opposition party won't talk about it and the BBC won't mention it. Yeah, well, maybe, Stephen, um, that uh, people will... uh, there's, uh, you, you know, La- Labour people around Keir say there's no buyer's remorse, but I think I've mentioned this before. Voters never have buyer's remorse. They never admit uh, or even accept that they were wrong. Um, it's just not part of their um, repertoire. Um, but sometimes they, well, quite often, actually, they feel betrayed. Hence the um, uh, booing of... Um, uh, boris johnson um at that um event the other day and um you know look at the fall the rise and fall of blair the walking on water idolatry and then the sense that you know he was a liar and a criminal and all those sort of exaggerated screams of betrayal and none of them then said oh we were wrong to vote for him they just felt betrayed and let down and i think it is possible um there is a space where Labour could point out what's wrong with the frosty deal. Remember this non-elected figure uh, with no experience, really, of this level of negotiation, um, and 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 fanatical in his simplistic views about sovereignty and so on. Uh, you, you could make a case, but they're not going to. But there will come a point when voters will not recognise they were wrong, but they will say they were lied to and it wasn't what they were told was going to happen. And in that space, I think Britain will end up moving closer and closer towards that Norway position. There is an inevitability about it, but it might take a long, long time. Norway position as mentioned a bit by Tobias Elwood when he suggested going back into the single market and then all hell broke loose. Uh, uh, Finally, uh, Graham Hughes has written with a, yeah, good idea actually, um, about doing a series on the role of Home Secretary and the many diverse characters of both parties that have been appointed. Um, Yeah, to my knowledge, and I may be wrong, nobody in that role has ever made the top... Job, uh, yeah, no, lots have. Graham, uh, Theresa May, uh, Jim Callaghan, um, quite a few Home Secretaries do get to the top, but they are less analysed than the Chancellors, um, and it's 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 a very odd, challenging job. Um, Home Secretary, um, which can often go wrong, but quite a few last a long time. Um, Jack Straw was there for a long time. Theresa May, famously, that was the only job she had in cabinet before becoming Prime Minister. Uh, so, yeah, I'll give some thought to that, Graham. Um, meanwhile, on Patreon, uh, I've done uh, one special on the relationship between Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings, and there'll be a couple more of those. Um, Probably next time, Harold Wilson and Marcia Williams were so enigmatic and mysterious, and yet very important. Um, and it, there's a cinematic quality to that, as I will explain when I do it. Anyway, thank you very much for listening today. Um, as I say, please uh, join in on the stream if you can't make it to King's Place on Wednesday night, because. Wow, we have got a hell of a lot to make sense of. Um, And let's all get together also next week uh, when this epic political drama will be taking all kinds of new forms and shapes. Shapes? No. Politics is shaped less at the moment, but there are many, many twists and turns to come over the summer and into the autumn. Uh, Thank you very much. If you could leave a review, only if you like it, um, because that gets other people to join our cooperative at Rock and Roll Politics. And see you all Wednesday night when we will have more, more to probe deeply and make sense of it all. Thanks very much. Bye.